missed all that. Oh. We did. We missed all of it. That was good banter. All the stuff that we want to do but can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's excellent banter, yes. <laughs> yes. It's behind-the-scenes stuff, though. Mm-hmm. How the sausage is made, which is still just a disgusting description. <laughs> well, you know it's cash. Well, this is Cash's podcast. Wouldn't it be more like this is how the chicken is plucked? <laughs> Good point. Oh, that's a yes. We did forget that. Or transformed into that pink <laughs> ooze that they talk about for the chicken I nuggets. You, uh... And also, it would be nice if we spelled Lotar's name right. Yeah, you spelled it right. Yeah, no, you got it. It would have been easier if I no, went through one. life as Lothar. That is. Yeah, Lothar. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been a lot simpler for me if indeed I went through life as a Lothar valet. <laughs> um, as opposed to having the H silent and the T silent. But uh, it was my parents' choice, and, and there you have it. Yeah. Actually, you know, I was done in by L&M cigarettes when they came out with Lothar and nicotine when I was in first grade. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. That was, all, that was all she wrote for me. You know, yep, was, yep. Um, that was it. My sister nicotine, da 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 Never ending. Ready for a countdown? Oh, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Go right. for it. Anytime you're ready. recording. We are actually recording. Get a drink of water and then count it down. A shout out to Max. Congratulations on your new job. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, this is Scott English. I'm the executive director of the American Philatelic Society, and you're listening to Stamp Show here today. Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rufus, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, home. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan. or from Fiji or Uzbekistan. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together. Welcome to Stamp Show here today, episode 112. I'm Cash, and I'm not even going to read my joke. Yeah, that was Yay. pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Scott. This is Tom. And I'm your host, Don. And first, a viewer discretion. At the end of the podcast, it's a love song, but it has the S word in it, so listener discretion is advised. And we have someone else here with us. We have Lotar Velot. Hey, Lotar. Did I Lotar. say that? Hi, how do you do? <laughs> nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you. This week in history, 150 years ago this week, Laura Ingalls Wilder was born. 
She was an American writer known for the Little House on the Prairie series of children's books released from 1932 to 1943, which were based on her childhood in a settler and pioneer family. And the television series Little House on the Prairie was loosely based on the Little House books and starred Melissa Gilbert as Laura Ingalls and Michael Landon as her father, Charles Ingalls. She wrote eight books in the Little House series. And she wrote a bunch of other things, too. And uh, she was not just an author. She was also a farmer. She was a teacher. And a pretty interesting lady. She died on February 10th, 1957, 60 years ago today, three days after her 90th birthday. In 1993, the USPS issued the Little House on the Prairie stamp as part of the classic book pain, Scott number 2786. And uh, I read her books as a child, as well as uh, both my daughters and pretty much every girl I've ever known. And yet, Laura Ingalls Wilder herself is not on a stamp. Stamp-worthy Laura Ingalls? Wilder. Wilder. You could make like a block Mm -hmm. of four Mm -hmm. and have like Laura Ingalls. And then who was that ratty little kid that was her like evil nemesis? Nellie. 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 Mm -hmm. So you could have a Nellie stamp. I wonder if that was a real person out of the books. Was it? I'm not sure. Because, you know, like I said, you know, the series is loosely based on the books. Mm Mm-hmm. But was there a... Uh, evil Nelly in the books? I think there was, uh, yeah, I think it was, there was one, but I don't think it was as prolific as like on the series. But, you know, something that, I mean, because actually, you, know, you think in the 70s, you remember Little House on the Prairie. Yeah, but this issue wasn't even a single stamp. It was actually a block of four stamps for uh, literature. Yeah. Well, and Little was, House on the Prairie was just one of them. Yeah, wasn't Huck Finn one of the other ones? And um, what were the other two? Little Women, I think, was one. No? You're shaking your head. There's he's a catalog point, right over there. The catalog, catalog is behind right you. behind you. <laughs> <laughs> what was the number again? 2786. 2786. Oh, that's what we were talking about earlier. I thought you guys were talking about money or something. What? Oh. Rebecca, Little House of the Prairie, Huck Finn, and Little Women. Oh, you were right. Yeah. Now, isn't um, Louisa May Alcott's on a stamp? Thank heaven for Mm -hmm. small miracles. Mark Twain is on a stamp. Mm Mm-hmm. Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer are both on stamps. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm talking about the authors. N-Word Jim is not on a stamp. Authors. Oh, well, I thought okay. we were talking about characters. Mm-hmm. So why, I think we should... Rebecca's on a stamp. Everybody who is named Rebecca can claim that stamp. Unless you're a guy. If you're a guy named Rebecca, then you can't claim the stamp. Yeah, you can hear the collective sigh in the, in the room. Yeah, okay. Well, anyways... Laura Ingalls Wilder, stamp worthy. Stamp catalog, 60 cents if anybody cares. <laughs> <laughs> this makes no sense. Yeah, it does. Today we have a special guest, Lotar Velot. It's Did- actually, the T is silent. It's it's Lotar Below. Lotar oh, below. really? Yes. I've been putting that T in for I, the last I know, decade. You know, and, and some people have been calling me <laughs> Lothar for 10 years, and I don't 
automatically correct people. When you have a weird name like mine, it doesn't pay. Um, <laughs> right. But you know, since uh, you know, since this is uh, going out to you know all parts of the country, we may as well get it straight. Okay. And it is indeed Lotar Velo. Spelled V A L L O T T. Silent. Which is silent. Silent. T. Yes, it's French. My last name is French, and my first name is typically German. The only time I've ever seen my first name in the newspaper was with the fall of East Germany. The last prime minister, his name was Lothar, and that was the only time I've ever seen my name in print. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't you, though. No, no, I was not the prime minister of East Germany. I've no. been there, but um, actually I went to stamp stores there. But um, Hey, uh, if you ever run, I'll vote for you. Thank you. Appreciate that. You got my vote. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a, a lifelong stamp collector like many people. I started when I was seven or eight years old. Uh, my father was the one who inspired me, and he would work late into the evening. Um, well after I would normally go to bed and in the mornings I would wake up and he would leave stamps in the ashtray and uh, I would go after he dumped out the ashes (laughs) and um, I would go through the stamps and this was kind of the beginning of my collection I think to begin with he put stamps in the ashtray that he meant to throw away but when he realized that uh, I was collecting them I think he put better stamps in there Um, I still have the first I guess it's a First seven stamps from the Netherlands, a, uh, a numeral definitive uh, that I found in the ashtray that I still have. Hmm. And uh, so since that time, I've been collecting steadily. I did take a small break, as most collectors have during college, but it was really only a small break. Uh, I basically had uh, parts of my collection with me at, at most times. Uh, being fluent in German, um, it was basically my inspiration for collecting Germany. I, for the most part, uh, over the years have, uh, I don't have a photographic memory, but I basically have the uh, German Michel catalog, the specialized catalog memorized. Mm -hmm. And I made a goal for myself to uh, acquire every single stamp in that catalog, which uh, is not actually uh, possible, uh, but I have uh, pursued it and am pursuing it to this day. Um, some 55 years later, some odd. Um, my collection is, um, very few people have actually seen it. It's extraordinarily detailed. I would say that if you were to label it, you would call it ridiculously specialized. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the kinds of collections I like. Yes. yes. No, it, it's, it's intense. And uh, if I should ever pass before I'm able to sell it, uh, whoever sees it, will think that I am, uh, that I was, mind you, completely insane. <laughs> I have, um, uh, I'm, an, I'm a neat freak. I'm a jeweler by profession. Uh, I'm an actual bench jeweler. In other words, I make things. I set diamonds, uh, which means that I work to very close tolerances. And uh, this has, to some extent, spilled over to my collection. It's basically a... Um, it's a it's a dis, an exhibition or a display collection that's never been exhibited or displayed, and I enjoy it to this day. Um, and like, you you are kind of selling yourself short. Uh, you do have what is truly a world class ex- uh, collection. I mean, it is. I'd like to think so. Yes. No. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. There's some. You're th- being modest. I have some things in there. 
although I, I do plan on acquiring a few more things um, to uh, round out uh, round out the collection. But um, for the areas that I collect, which again is most areas, it's largely complete. There is a lot of um, I have a lot of expertized uh, examples of all different varieties. Um, it's a lot of fun for me. Mm-hmm. Now, when we saw you a couple weeks ago, um, there was a cover that. No, uh, uh, yeah, the German cover the that German you expertized. Cover. Yeah, I was asked to render an opinion on a cover that had the last two semi-postal stamps issued by the Third Reich, and um, it's a. It's, uh, the question is, were these stamps ever legitimately used? Uh, I managed to find some uh, research materials, and one which stated that according to eyewitness accounts, the stamp was issued one day before the official issue date, which was April 21, 1945, at which time the uh, Russian forces and their artillery were within 10, 20, 30 kilometers of the post office where these stamps were supposedly originated. The story goes that an employee at the post office called a stamp company uh, one day before, on the 20th, said the stamps were there. They sent a couple employees over there to get the stamps, service the covers. And uh, there was a regulation that was put out about six months before that stated that given the circumstances of the war and the importance of the mail, if postmasters could find an and a means to deliver mail outside of official channels, they were given permission. And based on this, they took these covers, these two employees took these covers, they were all addressed to fictitious addresses, uh, with a few exceptions. They supposedly took these covers across Berlin to another post office, they were registered, to have them properly backstamped and um, basically properly backstamped, making them in a sense, a legitimate cover. They may never have gotten to the fictitious addresses, but they were transported from one post office to the other, and hence they were should have been considered to be legitimate covers. What are the Scots numbers on these, by the way? So people, can, I'm going to put a picture of this on Facebook so everybody can see the cover we're talking about. It's a really interesting cover. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure. It's it's B something. Yeah, uh, B <laughs> something. <laughs> uh, but it's the very last two semi-postals before the uh, before the before the end of the third ride. Yeah. So this was the last stamps of the collapse and the last. Yes. Supposed there were the last semi-postals. Ones. Yeah. Before mm-hmm. the collapse. So, so in theory, um, in theory, the covers are legitimate because by postal regulation they were carried from one post office to the next. Uh, I can visualize this to some extent, having seen the movie Downfall, chronicling mm-hmm. the, the last 14 days of Hitler in his bunker. And they showed uh, outside scenes, and Berlin was a terrible mess at the time. And just going from post office C25 to C2, merely going from one post office to the next, must have represented a great danger. The author of this explanation does list some possibilities that they may be wrong, but for the most part, he believes this. And in contrast to another report that was uh, written well after the war that says that that whole story sounds good, but that whole story is a complete fantasy. And that the stamps were actually applied on envelopes, and they're philatelic philatelic covers. They have 
um, well, there, there are philatelic covers, obviously. Out of date stamps and yeah, yeah out of date yeah. stamps mm-hmm. and uh, and you know pretty stamps in addition to the semi postals, yeah. and that they were actually manufactured after the war, with stolen postmarks, and are totally worthless. Hmm. So, uh, according to both uh, authors, however, they um, we'll never really know for sure whether they are authentic or not. Uh, the, the, the sense is that they're not worth uh, an enormous amount of money each, but given the amount of research that's gone into it, um, from my perspective, they're desirable. Mm-hmm. There's about 800 of them. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, that's and a... they're impressive looking. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, the cover's and attractively they have, yeah. done. They have the... Which uh, means it obviously was a... with It was intended to be capped. Well, the other thing, too, is that if you're going to fake a cover, they had the front, but they also put the receiving marks on the back. This so is you, strong you, evidence. Yeah, you needed not just a canceling device, you needed a receiving device also. Yes. Uh, the first author says that um, the possibility of them being faked after the war is remote, and uh, they he lists as one of the reasons the work ethic of the um, of the Germans, uh, if they were actually somehow involved with the post office after the war, that they simply wouldn't do something like that. Well, there would be no, yeah. But the covers are very interesting, and uh, it's uh, certainly an historical time. Yeah, go on Facebook. Uh, I'll put up a picture of it, and you can see the cover we're speaking about. So getting back to your jewelry, why don't you, first of all, tell us a little bit about your jewelry store and stuff. But um, that has to, you brought up a really good point for our epic battle between um, Canada versus USA Black Heritage Stamps. No, uh, epic battle, Matthew DaCosta versus Dorothy Height. That's what I said, basically. (laughs) Well, when I, I can't really address the epic battle. I'm going to leave that to you guys. But as a jeweler, the first thing that I see is I see a, 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 pearl, a multi-strand a pearl uh, necklace on the neck of an elderly gal, which is um, disturbing to me in that I sell pearls. And, uh, of course, there's a wide variety of pearls, uh, black ones and white ones. But white pearls uh, simply have not been selling and I list the well the reason I I feel is because Barbara Bush when she went into the White House she looked old and wore pearls Mm -hmm. I'm not impugning Barbara Bush great gal blah 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 but all the same when she left the White House she was wearing white pearls and looked old and as a result I have uh, discovered that there is serious resistance of young women wearing pearls. And the problem with that is that uh, pearls... They think it makes them look old. Uh (laughs) Exactly. And the the thing is, is that women can only wear wear pearls. Pearls is the true expression of love for a man, for a woman, in that a man can't wear pearls. Fashion designers have tried, you know, with the fancy Italian guys wearing these little, these real long strands and that sort of stuff. But really, the only pearl that a guy can wear is for the most part a tie tack, and that's about it. Oh. Now, about six months ago, this young gal comes into my shop and wants a strand of white pearls. You know, inside I'm, you know, getting really excited here. I say, oh, finally, some young gal is wearing pearls, and 
she goes on to explain that uh, she wants them for her wedding. And I'm thinking, oh, what could be better than a wedding with themed with white pearls? And then she proceeds to tell me that the wedding is a retro look. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All of that just went right down the, right down the tubes. And, um, but uh, occasionally we do sell some white pearls. Black pearls sell better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, pearls will always be popular. So Dorothy Height wearing white pearls. Matthew DaCosta wearing an epic buckle with a red cape. Actually, it almost looks like the guy's wearing pearls, but... uh, (laughs) Pearl buttons, perhaps. (laughs) Which would be a good move. But anyway, that's that's when I I see Dorothy, God bless her, uh, that's what I see is I see those pearls there. Yeah. I love pearls. And I've actually worn pearls when I was younger. I love them. I think they're they're neat. They're very elegant looking. They're you need to get like Taylor Swift well, and Beyonce a, to wear them. Unlike a lot of jewelry, uh, women will tell you that they feel good. Okay, mm-hmm. literally, in other words, uh, you know, on the skin. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to uh, metal, which binds your finger and an earring, which is going through your ear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, here you have something that's on your skin and feels nice. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. They do. And, like, I have metal allergies, so I never have a reaction to a pearl, ever. And they do. They look very classy and very elegant. And and, and young women should wear them because, you know, they're not just for old ladies. Well, I agree. Actually, mm-hmm. I think that uh, society is saying they are for old ladies. <laughs> and retro weddings. And retro <laughs> weddings, yes. Well, I have a strand of black that I just absolutely love. Well, getting back to Germany. Okay, we'll go back to Germany. I'd like to get back to since we have Lothar here. Yes. Um, you, one of the uh, things you brought up was the you want to get every um, stamp that's li- listed in Mikhail. Right. And I mean, I've known you for fifteen years, probably maybe um, longer. Um, probably at least, longer. Yes, yeah, yeah. Pacific ninety-seven. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, 20 years. I know that you always were looking for plate flaws. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Because until you showed me that you, what you were looking for and stuff, I had no clue these things existed. They're not listed in the Scotts catalog. Most American collectors, you know, maybe know one or two of them, but there's actually hundreds. Well, the fact is that uh, for me, uh, collecting plate errors on German stamps is one of the things that makes it exciting. Um, you know, it, it's easy to complete a collection of Germany, um, uh, at least some certain parts of it. Uh, West Germany is, is was basically very simple. Um, DDR, <laughs> DDR, yeah, which has taken on quite a bit of popularity since it fell. Um, in, in contrast to what sometimes happens when a country goes dead, it, they lo- people lose interest in it. But well, I think uh, part of the reason is because it is completable. Yes, indeed. And, and that's what makes it attractive. There are study groups that are expanding on the uh, knowledge of uh, DDR. Uh, there are a lot of watermark, watermark positions. Um, 
that are coming up, and uh, there's a lot of research being done. But getting back to plate errors, a plate error is caused during the printing process when something happens. In other words, somebody drops a screwdriver on the plate, or you know, a little mark gets on here, or there's a, a piece of sand gets in there and it gets pushed into the plate, so that either one out of a hundred or possibly one out of four hundred has a little spot on it. And uh, there are uh, a wealth of plate errors throughout the whole German area that really make it fun in that you can go through a batch of you know, a thousand really cheap stamps and bingo, you hit the jackpot and you find something that in theory is valuable. Of course, it's only valuable if somebody else is interested in it. And fortunately in Germany, yes, indeed, it's, uh, it's a big area. And uh, it's a very esoteric area. There are uh, very few people that I can actually talk to um, about this. And uh, in other words, uh, I'm thinking of one friend in particular. If I tell him, you know, if you, uh, you've seen the smoke on the chimney on the brown 10 fennec lately, he'll know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> or, um, you know, or the, the, little, the little line on the weather vane on the boat. We know. We, obviously, we all know what that is. Um, and, and the list goes uh, on and on. Uh, you got to be careful talking about stuff like that in public. The CIA will come and arrest you if you're talking some sort of code. Uh, yeah, well, it, uh, it, it does approach, it does approach code, code level indeed. And it makes it, makes it fun, and uh, there's, uh, there's actual value there. And, uh, again, what makes it exciting is that you can go through, once again, you go through a bunch of cheap stamps and you find treasures, treasures in trash. Well, that's, um, that's not just in Germany, though. That translates over into British Commonwealth and U.S. collectors as well. And uh, a little oh, yeah. bit, little word about plate flaws. Plate flaws are something that's consistent and happens to the plate. You have consistent and non-consistent. And what you're talking about are the consistent plate flaws, things that actually happen to the plate and are carried through the rest of the printing. The non-consistent plate flaws would be something like um, a fly gets caught in the printing when they printed the sheet and it may uh, depending on the the printing press if it's a rotary continuous press it might it might continue on for a dozen or two dozen or you know 50 sheets and you have fly splatter and then, it, and then it's gone <laughs> uh, but these consistent flaws happen to the plate and they're there really for the rest of the printing mm-hmm. uh, well there's a there are obviously a lot of uh, American plate flaws um, there's the prairie dogs uh, that's right. on the mm-hmm. aeronautics uh, yes. thing. There's some. There are some well-known ones. Absolutely, bridge over Niagara Falls. Yeah, bridge yes. over the bridge yeah. over the falls. There's, definitely, there are. Um, and yeah. British Commonwealth. Yeah. There's the extra weather vane on the flagpole. Flagpole. We should. Yeah. Lloyd collects those. Yes. Oh, you could. You, you ne- have never seen Lloyd so happy when he comes in. He goes, "Look, an extra flagpole." But the <laughs> the funniest thing he saw is. He found a stamp with the extra flagpole removed. Oh, really? What? And it was like it had the extra flagpole, and then they saw there was a mistake, and it was removed. And I sit there and go, well, if don't – I mean, you could have like a triple flagpole with two of them removed or 100 flagpoles with 99 of them removed. Well, you know, in Germany, this is called a retusche. This where they do discover that there is a a problem and then they go ahead and manually uh, remove it. Right. And in almost all cases, uh, you can see evidence of that removal. So that just adds one extra (laughs) <laughs> right, and you see that you see that in both you see that in both the Commonwealth and U.S. stamps occasionally as well. The retouching of the plate 
to remove a flaw that they've discovered or to possibly enhance details that have worn away due to the abrasiveness of the ink. All right, well, I collect 1851s and everything in that right. time period was recut somewhere. Right, you call it recutting or retouching mm-hmm. or, as Lothar said, uh, retouche? Retouche? Uh, yeah, retouche. 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 That like um, got to roll don't. the R. <laughs> Just don't. I'll I know stop. where you're I'm going. Stop. Don't. <laughs> Boy, nice, nice shutdown of cash. <laughs> <laughs> we ought to hire you to be on more often. <laughs> oh, hey, how about that? <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, it's. I I yeah. also like to look for the you know myself and Lloyd and uh, yeah when once you get to a certain level in your collecting you start to specialize you branch out in these and these areas do become kind of interesting and exciting. Well, there it does uh, it really does open things up. Uh, one of my uh, father's favorite um, series, the building series after Germany, uh, after Germany, um, the after Germany fell. Uh, I think there's about 28 stamps. Uh, They were printed by uh, two different companies. And when you add together the perforation varieties, uh, comb and line, the watermark varieties, uh, four different positions, then you combine the plate errors uh, with the different types, you probably have somewhere along the line about 28,000 varieties. <laughs> and uh, I wow. told myself that when I retire, I will pursue uh, this collection even more than I have already. And I do have somewhere between a quarter million and a half million copies of this series as raw <laughs> material to go through. Uh, however, to be fair, my resolve in this endeavor <laughs> is wavering a little bit. <laughs> I can understand yeah. that. Even just looking at a store of a quarter of a million stamps, it can be daunting. Yes, there, it's a lot. That'd be like a quarter million Washington Franklins. Oh my gosh! Or all, or quarter million two centers. Ooh, that sounds like fun. <sighs> Well, no, it doesn't. You do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have people complaining about the complexity of the Washington Franklins, and of course, Germany is my is my love. But on the other hand, I do have an American collection, and uh, and you know, I'm, I won't say that um, the Washington Franklins uh, pale in comparison, but they pale in comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there's not that many varieties. <laughs> Yeah, but we also don't necessarily look for watermark varieties on our stamps either. It's not something that American collectors generally do. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Well, oh, when absolutely. you talk, oh yeah. Well, you have uh, you know right side up and upside down watermarks as far oh, as. Oh, that's uh, true. Yeah, uh, I guess British, we look at British that. Commonwealth yeah. goes. Um, you know, well, sideways too. Or sideways, they? yeah. Well, yeah, because I guess you know the the single line watermarks they printed them left and right and up and down. Right. Horizontal, vertical. The, well, it depends on whether it was a square sheet of paper or not. Uh, surprisingly right. few issues are actually printed on square pieces of paper. Yeah, so you generally get normal, inverted, reversed, and inverted and reversed. Yes. So you normally get just the four watermark positions. You don't normally get... Sideways. Sideways. 
like they do in Britain. Britain, they have some issues that were printed on square pieces of paper, and you'll have well, but a lot watermarks. of times, well, a lot of times, uh, depending on the issue, sideways watermarks a lot of times will come out of a different format, mm-hmm. such as a booklet pane versus a sheet stamp. Right, because they were using then square pieces of paper. Well, no, but they were they were uh, the paper was oriented differently. Oh. Because yeah. the printing plate was a different size. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the ways that you tell the rotaries, right? The booklet rotary versus reperforated ones. There aren't any. Was, not the booklet rotaries. Uh, I know there was one stamp. There are some. There's one stamp that, uh, oh, well. There are some. You're the expert. <laughs> I'm just a producer. But 283 <laughs> does come with, uh, side. Uh, well, basically vertical and horizontal watermarks. So... Uh, there are certain sheet stamps where uh, there are very few for U.S. where the, the variety does include both vertical and horizontal watermark. You know, <clears throat> listening to Lotar, all of a sudden things are popping into my head. Like there are two-cent Washingtons in the Fourth Bureau issue that have plate varieties listed. Like there's one with the, with the long earlobe yeah. and the rosette flaw yes. and stuff like that. Yeah, cap, there are, cap there over are the two, the cap, cap over, over both two. twos. Well, well, those are the early. I'm talking about the fourth bureau issue, the oh. uh, the two 1922 series. The two. There the are two, yeah. there are hundreds of plate flaws just on that stamp alone. Yeah, of course there are many, many, many different plates as well. Yeah. Well, what is the book French? Uh, cloudy French, yes. Yeah. And uh, it's a full book with a whole boatload of double transfers and Nixon and I believe it is still available and, new hmm. so I, there there is a book that illustrates some of these flaws for US stamps yes because in Germany there's a there's a series the, the main catalog the Michel catalog shows many but then there's a, a company uh, Thomas Chantel that uh, went ahead and illustrated a lot of uh, a lot more that went beyond the catalog and uh, really has enriched the, the whole area and that uh, you have more stuff to look for. Excellent. Are we, are we done? Everybody's looking around, so I think... They're, they're all looking yeah. at me. I think we're all done then. <laughs> like all my, phone tur- my phone turned off. I was looking at turning it back on to look at the script again. Mm-hmm. Does Cash have any corrections? Well, let's correct... Let's correct <laughs> let's Cash. Scott, let's correct Scott first. And then we can... <laughs> Wow, two weeks in a row. I, know, I don't huh? have I don't have any, but I would like to uh, give a shout out to Tony M. Um, he listened to our podcast and he started his eBay store. And on Facebook now, he's advertising his eBay store. So uh, we at least got a person to start. We got listings. somebody to start becoming a dealer on eBay. Yeah, yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! So, congrats, Tony. That's it for me. We would like to thank the following for information used in this podcast, Wikipedia and Facebook. And thanks, Lotar, for sitting in with us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Lotar. Also, we invite you to check out stampfinder.com the Bloomberg of Philately, with great information on the stamps of the world and their values. Thank you for joining us for episode 112. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host, Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show here today on Facebook. 
You can ask us questions, see pictures of stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at bluepaperatgradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. At the end of the podcast is a love song, but it has the S word in it, so listener discretion is advised. As a special gift from Stamp Show here today, here is a Valentine's Day love song for the romantic in all of us from Axis of Awesome. And as always, keep collecting. Steel string guitar chimes. Synthetic percussion. Baby girl, I wanna show you how much I really love you. How much I really love you. Baby girl, that's what I call you to show you that my love for you is true. Baby girl, my love is so great that I wrote you this song. And to show you how much I really care. Sounds like every other one The beat kicks in and then I sing a bit more rhythmically To make it sensual, I sing it in a minor key I move my hands like I'm pushing someone in front of me Now that's the first verse and now I'm gonna take it to the bridge I say something about how I don't wanna break up Then I turn around and rhyme it with makeup I tell you that we should be together How long? Forever That long And ever So long Girl, you're always in my heart In my heart And I never wanna be apart Never be apart Honey, you'll always be mine Baby, be mine Baby girl, it's chorus time This is how you write a love song Yeah, this is how you write a cliche love song This is how you write a love song Yeah, a shitty that is is R&B love This song. is my backup and he sings quite breathily he takes the words I say and sings them after, me. Sings them after me. He emphasizes words and sings emphatically. I sing emphatically. Now listen to us sing an acapella harmony. Now we're back at the bridge. I haven't written anything for this. So I'm gonna stretch out the words. Repeating everything I say. Till I get, 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 yeah, till I get back to the chorus. This is how you write a love song, yeah, shitty, 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 shitty love song. And to show you I can't, I throw my hands in the air, now cut the music while I sing along. No. Hey girl, I've been standing up the back, not doing much for this song. Well, that's because my talents are quite limited. But that don't mean that I love you any less. In fact, it means the opposite. I'm just showing off my voice. It's just that it's so hard for me to find the words to really express the way that I feel about you, girl. Especially when I have to worry about fitting those words to music. And there's some kind of rhyme structure involved. Meaningless whisper. I know it's lazy songwriting, but I don't care. Because I sleep on a big pile of money at night. Girl, you might think it's weird, girl, that there's three guys singing about just one girl, girl. Well, let me tell you something, girl, it's not weird at all. In fact, girl, it's an industry standard, and it happens all the time. Happens all the time. Well, girl, I better wrap this up about now, because I'm about to get cut off by... Whoa, 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 Baby, I wrote you a love song. It wasn't hard and it really didn't take long. A totally generic love song. Yeah, really 
this could be about anyone But it's for you Yeah, this is your love song Not specific, girl To let you know we take it seriously And watch as we change the key When you change the key in a love song It means you sing it passionately whoa, 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 whoa. But we still haven't reached the end No, we're gonna, we're gonna change the key again Look at me, I'm singing a love song Shitty love song. Yeah. <laughs>